3. 1 John chapter 3. We'll just read the first three verses. 1 John chapter 3, the first three verses. kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Well, if you've been here for a number of weeks, at least while I've been preaching, you will know that we've been going through a series of messages in First John. And the, the primary theme has been that of assurance of salvation. Assurance of salvation. And it's very clear as you make your way through First John that this is indeed the theme of the whole epistle. John wants us to know if we are truly Christians, that we are truly Christians. He also wants us to know, in case we are self-deceived, that in fact we are not really Christians. So his epistle is full of tests, various tests, to enable us to discover whether our profession of faith is really genuine. And we have said a number of times that this is important for a number of reasons. First of all, it is important because if we don't know that we are truly Christians, we cannot be effective in terms of our Christian service. Because we can only give that which we have. So if as individuals we are doubting whether God has already graciously forgiven us of our sins through faith in Jesus Christ, we cannot go to other people to say to them, there is a full and free pardon for you if only you believe in Christ. We can't do that because we ourselves don't know that we have had our sins forgiven. But on the other hand, it's also important because one day we will die, like our president died a few weeks ago. We are also on the same journey. And if we think we are Christians, and then arrive on the other side, only to hear God saying, get away from me, I never knew you, I mean, what a disappointment it's going to be. And you can't rush back to come and do it properly so that now you go and receive a rich welcome. It's too late. 
so it's important to ensure that our assurance is real assurance. It is true assurance. It is the kind of assurance which will stand the test on the judgment day. Now last time when we were looking in this passage, we were looking at the second verse in First uh, John and chapter 3, where John says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And as I said to you then, the actual literal rendering there is, Beloved, now are we God's children. And what we will be has not yet appeared. In other words, we don't know the details yet. But one thing we know, that when he appears, we shall be like him. There John is clearly trying to get us to see that we don't need to wait until we die in order for us to know that we are truly God's children. He wants us to know now that we are the children of God. We should be able to say now that I am God's child. He has forgiven me. He has welcomed me into his family. Now. And in doing so, it doesn't mean that we now know all things about ourselves because there will be a future state that still awaits us when Jesus Christ returns. And it is that which he says, when he appears, we shall be like him. Well, today we are looking at the third verse. <clears throat> and in this verse, we are seeing the effect on our lives, the, the practical effect on our lives when we know that we are already God's children. The effect on our lives. And basically, it is this that we have a self-purifying motive. Look at the third verse again there. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Anyone who truly has this hope that when Jesus Christ returns, I will be like him. There is an effect it has on us. And that effect is that immediately we are committed to a life of self-purification. Now why is that important? Again, it's a test. Because you see, it's possible for you to say I'm a child of God. I'm looking forward to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, to be self-deceived. It's possible. And the way in which you can know that this is not a genuine hope is by the effect it is having on you. Today, as you are speaking this way and continuing your journey towards death, and towards eternity, what effect is it having on you? Looking at this verse helps us to examine ourselves, to be able to say, yes, my hope 
is the biblical hope. It is the real hope. It is one that will stand the test of time. So let's spend a bit of time this morning thinking together about this hope that purifies us. This hope that purifies us. First of all, what this verse is telling us is that Christians are the only individuals on the planet, listen to me, the only individuals on the planet who have a unique hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle John puts it this way, when he says that everyone who has this hope in him. Now clearly, that everyone is meant to say that there is no one else outside this category that we can expect to have this hope. It is only those who have this hope in Him. That is, in the Lord Jesus Christ. What is this hope that is being spoken about here? Clearly, we just have to go back to the previous verse. It is the hope of being conformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is looking forward to the day when each one of us who are in that everyone category will shine the way in which Jesus Christ presently shines in heaven itself to appear like him in every way. We see this very clearly from um, Romans and chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Just quickly turn with me there. Romans and chapter 8. Verse 29 downwards, but we'll deliberately begin with the famous verse 28. Romans 8. Verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Now here it is. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he, that is the Son, might be the firstborn among many brothers. In other words, a time is going to come and, and those who are God's true children look forward to this when they are going to finally, finally, finally be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. What will that mean? We will be entering into an eternity where He will be but the firstborn among many brothers. In other words, we will reign with Him for all eternity. We will be together with Him, ruling 
the universe, so to speak. A complete change from the circumstances in which we currently are. There will be a new order of things. Because the old order, which is the order in which we currently are, would have passed away. We will be in a state in which there will be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain, no more crying, no more death. Now that's the Christian hope. It is not simply wanting a new environment, but it's going to begin from a renewal that will be within when on the inside we will be so changed that all those desires for sin that would have been there before will be completely gone because we will be like Jesus. And so will the context also be completely different. The cherry on the cake obviously is this. That we will not only be like Him, but we will also be together with Him forever. The bride, the church, being with the bridegroom, Jesus Christ Himself. And finally having the wedding, the marriage feast of the Lamb, so that we can forever be with the Lord. Now friends, that's the Christian's hope. That's what we look forward to. The grave is not the end for the Christian. No. Even the period between death and the second coming of Jesus is not the end. It is when he returns when we are changed in the twinkling of an eye to become like Him. And then we go through that wedding feast and are with Him forever in a sphere where everything that we have known in this life will now be behind us. When the mansions that Christ has said is going to prepare will now be ours. And we will live there, in the streets of God, in the immediate presence of God Himself, giving Him true worship with hearts that no longer sin against Him. No other people on this planet have such a hope. No other people. But as Christians, that is our hope. And we look forward to it every day. But I shouldn't take that for granted. I need to ask you, as you are sitting in here today, whether this is your hope, whether this is what you look forward to as you think about your future. Is that the hope that is in your heart. That I cannot wait for all this to be over. That I might finally 
hear the trumpet call of God, the descending of my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and my entry into a new nature, into a new environment, that I might worship this God forever. Is that your hope? Now what this verse is telling us, 1 John chapter 3 verse 3, is that the proof that this is your hope is if the effect it is having on you is an active pursuit of holiness. An active pursuit of holiness. Back to First John and chapter 3. This is the way John puts it. Everyone who thus hopes in him Everyone who that hopes in him. In other words, everyone who hopes in him in this way purifies himself. Purifies himself. Clearly, this purification is referring to moral purification. In other words, it is a changing that is taking place in you at a moral level so that you are becoming step by step more like God himself in moral excellence. This process begins at the point of your conversion. When God saves you from sin, on that day when you come to him in repentance and faith, what does he do? He saves you. You can say for sure, something has happened to me. In fact, God normally gives you what I call a honeymoon period. In other words, there is that initial period soon after your conversion when you you, you really experience such a purity within that for you, you begin to even imagine that you are completely done with sin. I mean, it's, it's such a change that takes place. Such a, a, a liberty from sin that you experience that you say to yourself, I'm done with sin completely. All those things that were there in my past, I'm free. In the, the Beatitudes, in, in Matthew chapter 5, that's the change that is there. Um, let's just quickly go there because it's a, it's a kind of um, journey about the way in which God makes us into true Christians. So, let's quickly go there. Matthew and chapter 5. I begin from verse uh, 2. And he, referring to Jesus, opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, 
for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I'll pause there for a moment. Those are the first four Beatitudes. And if you look at them closely, you will see a gradation, a, a procedure, a process, a, a progression that is taking place there. Beginning with the poor in spirit. In other words, a person recognizing his spiritual poverty. That's the first step in the process of salvation. And then the result of that recognition is a mourning. And so we hear, blessed are those who mourn. There is a, a crying, a, a weeping, a, a recognition of the way in which I am on the inside that, that leaves you broken before God. And then we notice the third stage is that of becoming meek. In other words, you stop fighting for your own rights and, and, and this is who I am and so on and so forth. Instead of fighting for that, you are now humbled. You, you become meek. You become malleable so that now you are saying, God, do with me whatever you please. And then the final stage is that of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Your spiritual poverty makes you now hunger for God, that God might give you what you don't have, and that is spiritual righteousness. And the Bible tells us they, they shall be satisfied. God himself, through Jesus Christ, gives you that righteousness. So it's like going up a hill. Finally you've reached the hill where God has saved you. God has filled you with that which you've been hungering for. From there, the next four Beatitudes are like a descending. And here they are. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So now, that's the consequence. It is the merciful, they've received mercy, they are giving mercy, and they are continuing to receive mercy as a result of that. And here is my point. They are now pure in heart. Previously, they were in sin, they were in spiritual poverty. Now, they have received pure hearts. And because of that, they also become peacemakers, making peace between individuals. And lastly, they are persecuted because of righteousness. They now have righteousness. And people don't like them. And consequently they are persecuting them. Why have I taken you there? It is to mention this fact. That there is that period. When you, you too can testify. That my heart has been made pure. Previously it was defiled. I know it. But there is a new liberty. There is a new purity. 
that I have experienced. A new righteousness that was not there. However, those of you who have been Christians long enough will know the beginning. Sorry. Okay. That's only the beginning. Because somewhere along the line, God allows you to begin to see that that is simply the beginning of your work of sanctification. In other words, of a cleansing that goes into maturity. He soon begins to show you that there is a lot of work that needs to be done inside you by His Holy Spirit. He begins to show you that in actual fact, in your heart, is a bad temper or a short temper that results in quarrels, that results in fights, that results in you wanting to harm other people. And you are shocked that these things should still be within you. He shows you that in you also is lust. Lust that makes you want to get involved in sexual immorality, either before marriage or outside marriage. He begins to show you that those seeds are still there within you. He shows you that your heart is still greedy for worldly gain. It is still self-centered. That you still want this and you want that and you want the other. So that instead of you loving people and wanting to invest in people to enrich their spiritual lives, their social lives, and so on, your life is all about getting and getting and getting. And you see this greed within you, which in fact pushes you further to want to steal. To want to take that which is not yours. To want to defraud other people. To use shortcuts. To simply enrich yourself. And you say to yourself, now hang on, I'm supposed to be a Christian. I'm supposed to be saved. What are these desires that are coming up within me? He shows you that you've got a tongue that is in fact not sanctified, not holy. By showing you moments when you are tempted and sometimes you even yield to gossip. You yield to slander. And you say to yourself, this is not the way Jesus Christ is. The things that you thought you had overcome when you were getting saved, they begin to rear their ugly head in your life. What is John saying here? He's saying, if you have this hope in you, that one day you will be conformed to the image of Jesus, one day you will have a heart that will not be sinning against God, you begin the work now. You don't wait until you get to heaven. No. 
And that's what he means by saying, those who have this hope in him, purify themselves. In other words, in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, you participate actively in your own spiritual maturation. That's the true Christian. A true Christian is not somebody who doesn't know temptation and sin in his heart. No, no, no. He does know it. But rather a true Christian is one who says, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. I'm going to put up a gallant fight against these things that are showing themselves inside me so that I might put them aside slowly but surely to become more like Jesus with every succeeding year. And consequently, if you are a genuine Christian, if you really have this hope in you, you will be the individual who will be drinking this book in because it is the means by which the Holy Spirit sanctifies you. Remember the prayer of the Lord Jesus? John 17. Father, sanctify them through your word. For your word is truth. You will be an individual who is constantly checking himself, checking herself against the Holy Scriptures. And each time the Holy Scriptures point something out in your life, you don't argue. No. You say, ouch. Ouch. The word of God is true. It's correct. This tendency in me is wrong. Lord, help me to deal with it so that I might become more and more the kind of person you want me to be. Let me ask you. Is this what's happening in your life? Is it? Do you remember the time when Jesus Christ saved you? And you jumped into the air with excitement. Praise the Lord. I'm a new creature in Christ. He's broken. Those awful ways in which I was living. I'm now free. Do you remember that time? Do you remember the time when you were very disappointed with yourself? That some of the very things that you thought you were saved from began to rear their ugly heads in your life. You were shocked. Perhaps you even went to one of your church elders and said, I'm not saved. Because if I was saved, why is this reality dangling onto me? And that mature Christian said to you, 
welcome to the club. This is now the real Christianity. That was a honeymoon period. Welcome. Now is the fight of faith. Do you remember when you were now told what it means to pray as Jesus taught us to pray? Not only forgive us for our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, but also to pray into the future, saying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Learning to pray that God might deal with your heart and make you new and enable you to overcome more and more of the sins that are rearing their ugly heads. I'm asking, do you know anything of this? Because, friends, if you don't, you are not a Christian. You are not. Because he who thus hopes in him purifies himself. Purifies himself. It becomes a journey through life. Purifying yourself in order to deal with these wrong desires that are in the soul so that you might grow into maturity in Christ. There's one more point that we see in this verse, and it is what motivates you. What motivates you in this pursuit of holiness? And it is a desire to be like Christ. A genuine desire to be like Christ. Look at the way it is put in this verse. And everyone who that hopes in him purifies himself, listen to this, as he is pure. As he is pure. In other words, this pursuit of holiness is not a legalistic effort. It is not somebody simply wanting to, to pass a test so that if I pass the test, at least I will enter into heaven. At least I will survive the judgment of God. So all I want to know is, how am I doing when it comes to, to the Ten Commandments? How am I doing? Am I doing okay? Am I obeying enough to, to pass this test and, and be accepted by God. No, friends. That's mere legalism. It's a back door into hell. It is not the way in which true Christianity is lived. Rather, true Christianity is uh, wanting to be like Jesus. It's a personal relationship 
with Jesus Christ. And recognizing that if I'm going to have fellowship with Him, I need to be like Him. If I'm going to meet Him on, at the marriage feast of the Lamb, I should not look at him and quickly look down with, with embarrassment. No, no, no. I must be able to look up and say, thank you, because you've helped me over the years to become more and more like you. I've not been defeated by sin. I have defeated sin with your help, by your spirit, through your word, and consequently, I'm looking forward to being with you. That's Christianity. In fact, when you look at Psalm 17, you discover that it's not just Christianity, as in New Testament Christianity. It is the religion of the Bible. Listen to this. Psalm 17 and verse 15. This is David looking into the future, longing for the resurrection. And it's amazing the language he uses. Psalm 17, verse 15. As for me, I shall behold your face, listen, in righteousness. When I awake, and that is after death, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Two things there. First of all, notice, I shall behold your face. That's what I'm longing for. It's not simply to, to wake up on the other side and then See, where is my mansion and, and, and find myself there? It is to meet you when you appear, to be like you, to, to see you, to have fellowship with you once again. But notice also he is saying in righteousness, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. In other words, my joy on resurrection morning will simply be this, that I am now like you. That's my satisfaction. That finally, I awaken from the dead and all my fight with sin is over. I now can say from the depths of my soul, that I love God with all my heart, with all my strength. I love God with all my mind. I'm not trying to, and then I'm being pushed down. That is over now. I love God with the whole of my being. I can now say I love my neighbor as I love myself. Finally. I love my neighbor in the home. I love my neighbor in the church. I love my neighbor in school. I love my neighbor in the workplace. 
I love my neighbor in the community the way I love myself. While we are on earth, that's the tall order. We look up there and we say, I have failed again. I have failed again. I have failed again. But in resurrection morning, that which has been pulling us down will be over. We will be like Christ. And consequently, we will be able to say, finally, I am able to do that which I longed for all this time. All I'm saying is this, that that's the motive. The motive is to be like Jesus. So that I can be as pure as Jesus is. I want to be that pure. I want to be that pure. I want to be that pure. That's the picture of Christian maturity. Being like Christ. So here, brethren, is a verse for us to test ourselves. Are you a Christian? Or are you not? Well, here's a test. Can you honestly say that you are an individual who is looking forward to being like Jesus. And that looking forward to being like Jesus is making you militant in terms of fighting sin. And you're not fighting sin only in other people. You are fighting sin in yourself. And you are able to say when you look back, that there is progress. There is actual success, achievement. I am not what I want to be, but I can also say for sure, I am not what I once was. There has been progress. And I still continue fighting on because I want to be like Jesus. I'm asking. Can you honestly say that that's true of you? Believe me, true Christians have a living hope that has a purifying effect on them. True Christians. And if you're sitting there, and your, your hope is like that of uh, many pupils and uh, maybe even students. They don't study, but they hope to pass. They are just somehow playing and playing and playing, but somehow they hope that when the exams come, they will pass. And there are a lot of people who are like that in their professional faith. It's got nothing to do with how they are spending their time, the kind of energy they are putting into their days. It's got nothing to do with it. Some kind of hazy, hazy hope that when Jesus comes, he will accept me. But it's got nothing to do with the present fight. Friends, that's not Christianity. It's not. 
As I've said before, it's a back door into hell. True Christianity is like the hope of an athlete. And you know the hope of an athlete. It is constantly wanting to become like the champion. Because they want to win the race. So if they know that the, the, they are participating in the 400 meters, well then you know what they are doing. They found out the speed at which you send boat runs and they are putting it there. And every day they are making an effort to, to reduce the difference between you send boats and themselves. They are putting in the pressure. They are doing what they can. If it's losing weight, they are doing what they can to lose weight. Whatever it is that it takes, changing their diet, they're going to change their diet. Exercises twice a day, they're going to exercise twice a day. Is it lifting of weights? They will lift weights. Because they've got a target. It's not just wishful thinking. That because the government has sponsored us, we are going for the Olympics, we will win. There's nothing like that. They are putting in the effort. That's Christianity. It is saying Jesus is like this. I am not like this. I'm going to do everything in my power. I'm going to read his word. I will pray. I will humble myself before the Lord in order to become like him. Is that you? Is that you? Friends, there's no other kind of Christianity. It is only those who hope in Him this way who are the true children of God. If even coming to church you have to be pushed, reading your Bible you have to be pushed, praying you have to be pushed, dealing with your own greed or whatever gossip and whatever fallenness is about you, you are fighting against it, just know that most likely you are not a Christian. And the sooner you admit it, the better. So that you can go to Jesus Christ and say, Save me. Save me, Lord. I don't think I'm saved. Because I don't have a hope that purifies me. I don't have it. I still hang on to my old ways. Lord Jesus Christ, I've seen in your word that those who truly hope in you are purified by that hope. They deal with their own fallenness. I'm not like that. Save me, O Lord. Search me and save me, lest on the judgment day I perish. That's what you should do. And oh, may God hear your cry today. Amen.